Let me read to you again that prayer, the Anglican collect that we prayed a few moments ago. It says this, Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our vision is to be a beacon of hope for Hoxton. But as it is sometimes said, vision without strategy is just hallucination. So as a church, we use a mission action plan to help us discern and prioritize the specific things that God asks us to do and to help us keep focused on becoming the kind of place where that work, that transforming and renewing work occurs. Uh, in the autumn of 2016, after a period of prayer, discussion, and reflection of some nine or ten months, the PCC adopted a new mission action plan with some exciting and ambitious goals for the next five years. And uh, next week we hope to have some printed booklets to give out to you to explain a little bit more about this. Uh, but over the course of these three Sundays, this week and the next two, I want to share something about the why, the what, and the how of our mission action plan. And we're calling it the why, what, how of hope. I want to be honest with you. The work on this mission action plan has taken place in a time in which we're feeling very stretched as a church. We're profoundly grateful for the ways in which God has blessed the work of our church with children and with young people in particular. But the staff and the volunteer teams who lead our children and youth ministry teams are overstretched. There are simply not enough volunteers on the children and youth ministry teams to cover all of the groups and sessions. And we're also facing some real financial challenges. The range of programs and ministries that we collectively resource with staff, with space, with equipment, has grown faster and larger than our collective financial resources. It costs us about £5,000 a week to keep the church open and run all that we do. It's extraordinary, isn't it? We've carried a budget deficit through 2016 and into 2017, and simply to maintain the existing work of the church, all that we're doing, we will need to raise our income, principally through the money that we as a congregation give in the offering. Now, the current pace and program of ministries is unsustainable in its current form, and so I think we face three possibilities as we look forwards. We can continue as we are with many of our staff and volunteer teams overstretched and with some serious financial challenges. Unfortunately, the most likely outcome of this course of action is that the vicar has a burnout and or staff or volunteers in ministries become exhausted and discouraged and stop. Probably not the mark of a healthy church. Second option is to do less, but that's very hard to manage in reality, without shutting down some major areas of the church's work, perhaps the youth ministry or perhaps uh, the sanctuary missional community. Actually, doing less usually occurs as a result of some kind of burnout or breakdown, kind of recalibration. But there is a third option, which is to press through and create the conditions for growth. We can't be assured of growth in either congregation numbers, nor our financial resources, nor personal holiness, for that matter. But we can put in place the conditions that allow for growth, encourage growth. In 1 Corinthians 3, Paul talks about how he planted a seed, Apollos watered it, but it was God who gave the growth. 
we can set about planting and watering in such a way that it encourages and allows growth. Now, you probably won't be surprised that I'm most excited about the third option. I don't much fancy having a burnout or a breakdown, uh, and I'm probably the wrong vicar to lead us into a phase of reduced mission and ministry. Probably need somebody else for that job. However, I recognize that the planting and watering will need, that we need, will involve some radical changes. And I'm going to say more about these changes next week. So come back for the second installment. It's keep you on bated breath. But broadly, I think it's all about repitching the tent. That is creating more space for people to come and encounter God in prayer, in worship, in ministry. And secondly, I think it's about becoming fit for purpose in God's service, raising up a new cohort of leaders who can welcome, evangelize, pastor, and disciple those who join our church community in the years ahead. Now, on paper, it all looks very challenging, but we have learned through experience that God is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. He always provides for that which he has inspired. And actually, Steve sort of mentioned it earlier on, and it's true that God has done extraordinary things in this church in the past few years. We have seen miraculous healings. We've seen miraculous provision of housing. We've seen people set free from debt. We've seen people's relationships restored and healed. We've seen people find hope and strength for the future in God. And we have seen his provision for our collective mission and ministry through the amazing team of staff and volunteers and the way in which he has provided grant funding and generous congregational giving uh, to enable all of this work. When we are called to particular works of mission and ministry, God also inspires us to give cheerfully, sacrificially, and generously. God always provides for that which he has inspired. And now next week, I'm going to share with you some more specific projects and changes that we believe God has called us to. And in the following week, I'm going to talk a little bit more about how we can all participate, how we can be involved in the work. But today, I want to explore a little more the question of why we are here as a Christian community in Hoxton. So let's take a moment to pray. Father, help us to hear your voice afresh. Remind us why we have been called, why we are here. Speak to us again of your love. And inspire our hearts in this time that we have together. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin by telling you something about why I am here at St. John's, Hoxton. Now, there might be some straightforward answers to that question along the lines of, because it's my job to be here, or because of a great vicarage in a great Hoxton location. Now, neither of these would be untrue, but they don't tell the whole story either. So I'd want to answer the question of why am I here at St. John's? A little more in terms of vocation, calling, and obedience. I believe that God has called me and my family to come and live in the midst of this neighborhood to work for the renewal of the church for the sake of sharing the good news of Jesus with everyone in the neighborhood. This is true, but again, it doesn't quite give a full enough or personal enough picture of why I'm here at St. John's. I think that for me to answer the question of why I'm here at St. John's, I have to dig a little more deeply into the question of why I am who I am. 
For it is who I am before God, the person that he's made me through my particular experiences that are central to understanding why I'm so passionate about our church and also why I'm so profoundly grateful for the privileges of serving as leader and pastor. For those who don't know me well, uh, you may not know that I'm an only child. My parents divorced when I was young, three years old. I spent the early years of my life never quite being sure where home was. Was it with my dad and stepmom, or was it with my mum? I didn't have brothers and sisters to share this, this experience with, and many of my childhood friends appeared to have a more straightforward experience of belonging somewhere, just as they were. They didn't really have any of this kind of existential angst. They didn't ask the same questions that I asked. I was a child who felt as though my acceptance within friendship groups at school was dependent on acting like all the other kids, being just like them. Now, during my primary school years, I grew up in a part of Bristol in which actually I wasn't quite like many of the other kids for various reasons. I felt like an outsider, an imposter. I felt as though I had to keep up the act to be liked and to belong. I spent my early formative years in North Bristol and then moved to South Bristol where everybody speaks with a thick Bristolian accent and says, all right, me lover, you going down Mecca. Mecca was the bingo hall and things are great lush when you speak Bristolian because that's the kind of thick Bristolian accent. And I was bullied for being posh because I spoke as I speak. <laughs> I felt like an outsider, an imposter. I have to say, just as an aside, if anybody ever saw the TV series Skins, I loved watching Skins at the very beginning, at least for the pleasure of hearing that thick Bristolian accent again. I felt like an outsider and an imposter at school. I had to keep up an act to be liked and to belong. And truth be told, I felt like this at home as well. I felt as though my mother needed me to be more grown up than I was ready to be. I felt as though I was supposed to be the man of the house when I was six years old, to meet her needs, both emotional and practical. I think that in quite a profound way, I wasn't sure whether I would be loved, valued and accepted if I wasn't performing well enough. And all of this led to me growing up as quite an insecure and anxious child. Christian psychologist Larry Adler has claimed that at the foundation of all other human needs is the need for us to feel significant and to feel secure. Everything we do in life, he claims, is motivated by our need to feel significant, powerful, influential, worthwhile, lovable, valued. And we want to know that this significance is not fleeting, temporary or transitory, but that it's secure, permanent and unshakable. Now, if we take a moment to think about it, Actually, I think this does make quite a lot of sense of human behavior. Many of our hopes and our disappointments, our joys and sorrows in life, work and relationships, come down to this need that we have to be significant and to be secure. Only in Jesus Christ do we discover our eternal and immeasurable significance to God. And in him, we discover that God's love for us is secure and steadfast. That's why the gospel is such good news to us. Because in Jesus, we discover that God loves us to the very extent of dying for us, to forgive us and bring us back to him. Jesus would have died for each of us, even if we had been the only human on earth. We are that significant to him. And God promises never to leave nor forsake us. His love for us is secure. I discovered this good news when I was 14 years old, and it transformed my life. I was able, for the first time in my life, to stop performing for love and acceptance I was loved by God just as I was. And not only that, I knew that Jesus 
could lead me to become the person that I wanted to be. I didn't want to be insecure and anxious, always striving to be liked and loved. I wanted to experience peace and joy and hope. Giving my life to Jesus Christ was the very best thing I have ever done, and he has transformed my life beyond anything I could possibly imagined. So what does that have to do with why I'm here at St. John's? Well, the answer to that question is that it's precisely because I believe St. John's to be the kind of church community in which people like me can find a place to be significant and secure in God's love for them and to become the people God intends them to be as they're transformed by his grace. You know, I've been involved in churches in which you still feel as though you have to perform a certain kind of role to be accepted and to belong. You have to sort of dress a certain kind of way, behave a certain kind of way, speak a certain kind of way. Everyone looks the same. They share a same culture. And if you don't conform to the norms of that group, you always feel like an outsider. I believe the most wonderful thing about St. John's is that we're so delightfully different across uh, the whole range of ages, ethnicities, cultural backgrounds, economic backgrounds, politics, you know, tastes, all of our things. It's beautiful. Anybody who comes to visit St. John's can see somebody who appears a bit like them. Nobody needs to feel like an outsider or a stranger. And more than that, St. John's is a church community in which people are loved and accepted as they are. Yes, with the hope of transformation to become the best versions of ourselves, but without any pressure to perform to be liked, loved, and accepted. Now, all of this, I think, is summed up in that wonderful collect, the special Anglican prayer, which is set for today. Happens to be my favorite collect. Uh, and if you ever want to check that, you can go into the office, and I have a copy of it printed out above my desk. Uh, so it was amazing um, providence that it was set for today. I'd like us to read it again together. So let's say together. Almighty God, in Christ you make all things new. Transform the poverty of our nature by the riches of your grace. And in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Just meditate on those words for a moment, those claims, those truths that are expressed. In Christ all things are made new. Straight out of 2 Corinthians 5, isn't it? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. They are a new creation. It's extraordinary, isn't it? It's there again in Paul's writings that Christ, though he were rich, became poor for our sake, that through his poverty we might become rich. We do have impoverished natures. Deep down, all of us share some of those things that I've expressed, the anxiety to belong, the need to be significant, the need to know whether we're liked and loved and valued just as we are, the fear about being excluded from a group because we don't quite look the way everybody else looks, we don't quite act the way everybody else acts. All of us, uh, despite our best efforts, find ourselves still succumbing to those disordered desires which lead us to kind of value self over God, to uh, seek our own needs and comfort, to provide for ourselves rather than to trust in God and his people. But Jesus transforms the poverty of our nature by his grace, by the riches of his grace. A and then that glorious phrase about mission, in the renewal of our lives, make known your heavenly glory. What's God's great master plan for revealing himself to the world? Is it a thunderbolt? 
Is it kind of a, you know, a legion of angels coming down, descending, declaring his praises, his being? No, it's the renewal of your life. It's the renewal of my life. It's the renewal. It's that, that's, that's God's master plan for making known his heavenly glory, that our lives should be transformed, healed, renewed, made whole. And that's great, isn't it? Because not only does God's master plan get fulfilled, but our lives get better in the process. St. John's is a beacon of hope for Hoxton because we are a people who have been transformed in Christ, whose lives have been renewed by him and in which God's heavenly glory is being seen. It's a church family in which there is hope for anyone and everyone who has ever experienced anything similar to what I've shared with you. It's a place in which everyone can find in Christ and in our congregations the hope to be who God has made them and the hope to become all that God has for them. I value these things greatly. And that's why I'm so proud to be your vicar and to belong to this church community. Now, I know that one day the church will need someone with different skills and passions to me to lead and serve as vicar of this church. That's fine. We are all called by God to serve in particular roles for particular seasons. But I want you to know that even when that time comes, my involvement here at St. John's will never be just a job to me. I will always feel deep gratitude that I was called and able to belong to this church community. So if that's why I'm here, what about you? Why are you here? Why are you here today? Why are you here in a more profound sense, belonging to this church community? What's your purpose? What did God make you for? Why did he bring you here? While you ponder those questions, and they're genuine questions, I'm not just being rhetorical here, please begin to think about it. While you ponder them, let me briefly draw out a couple of points from our Bible readings today. The first point is this, we are each born with a purpose. In Isaiah 49, we hear the prophetic cry of the servant of the Lord. He says this, before I was born, the Lord called me. From my birth, he has made mention of my name. He formed me in the womb to be his servant. We are born with purpose, formed with purpose. Secondly, we are identified with a purpose, recognized with a purpose. In John 1, John the Baptist sees, calls out, and identifies Jesus in terms of Jesus' purpose. He says this, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That is Jesus' purpose. It's not ours, thank God. We don't have to die for the sins of the world. We only have to die to ourselves to follow him, that we might live in Christ. But we too can find our identity in our purpose. Now, God has made me to love the church. My vocation, my identity, my purpose is principally to do all that I can to love God's church and to build up his people. I stand, I suppose, in that same line as uh, Peter, the one who is called by Jesus to feed my sheep. I'm an under-shepherd to the great shepherd. That's where I'm sort of recognized and identified in my purpose. That will not be all of your purpose. It may be some of your purpose, but all of us do have some purpose. It may be that you are there to be a light shining in the world of commerce or business. It may be that your purpose is to be there crafting and forming a household community which is hospitable and which reflects God's love. It may be that your purpose is around calling out uh, God's justice and proclaiming it uh, in the world. 
But the one purpose that all of us share in is that we are part of the great invitation of Jesus. Each and every follower of Jesus has a purpose given them to invite others to come, to invite others to come and find their purpose, their why in him. John the Baptist directed his own disciples to follow Jesus by pointing them towards him. And they responded to Jesus' call to come and see. One of these disciples was Andrew. And the first thing that Andrew did was go and find his brother Simon and bring him to Jesus. In the notes in his Bible commentary, Anglican Archbishop William Temple wrote next to this verse, the greatest gift one man can render another. To bring somebody to encounter Jesus, to bring them to come and see. The greatest thing we can ever do is bring a friend or relative to meet Jesus. So each of us are part of the great invitation and each of us are made to be transformed. The first thing that Jesus does when he encounters Simon is to change his name. He's transformed in a very, very tangible and practical way. Simon is renamed Peter, the Greek name Kephas, Peter means rock, and later Jesus reveals that Peter is the rock on which the new covenant community will be built. Each of us, when we encounter Jesus, is seen and recognized just as we are, but we're also called to be transformed, renewed, to discover a new identity in him, an identity with new purpose. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah 49 is called not just to restore the tribes of Israel, that's too small a thing, but also to be made transformed and made a light to the Gentiles so that the salvation of God may go to the end of the earth. So why are you here? What brought you here to St. John's? Who brought you? What keeps you coming? Have you been transformed? Has your life been renewed? If so, how? Why? For what purpose? I'm really privileged to know the personal stories of a good number of the members of our church. And I know those among us who have suffered tragic loss of loved ones but have found hope and healing in Jesus. I know those among us who have labored with long-term illness but do not lose heart but instead remain faithful in prayer. I know those among us who have been or are being healed from physical and emotional illness, finding healing in prayer ministry and in the presence of Jesus. I know those among us who have suffered relationship breakdowns and where in the past you may have run from God, now you run to God. You've brought your pain into his presence that it may be healed. I know those among us who have undergone the stress of debt, homelessness, those who have lived in temporary accommodation, those who have been unemployed, and in each of these, they have brought the anxiety and their needs before God and have found miraculous provision. I know those among us who have brought their brokenness into God's presence and in community and in new relationships and in new friendships, found him restoring their hopes and their dreams and their desires, giving them something good. We are not alone in this. For every one of our stories, yours and mine, there are many others in our neighborhood who need to know the transforming power of God, the riches of his grace. Christ makes all things new. And in this new year, in this new season for our church, who is God sending us to? How will we take our place in the great invitation? To whom are we sent? 
What has God done in our lives and why have we found our hope in him? Why are we drawn to this beacon of hope? And why might others be drawn to God's presence? These are the questions we need to wrestle with and bring before the Lord so that we know why we're here and we have confidence to share that with others. For in us, in the renewal of our lives, God makes known his heavenly glory. Amen. Let's pray for a moment. Why don't we stand to pray? And I'd like to invite you uh, just in this first moment of quiet prayer to stand, as it were, before the Lord, asking him to help you answer the question, why am I here? What have you done in my life, Lord Jesus, that brought me here? What is my purpose? Father, thank you that you have called each one of us who is part of this community, this church family here at St. John's, who worships in this congregation or in one of the other congregations and services through the week. You have called each one of us to be part of this blazing beacon of hope that draws other people to your unquenchable light. as we remember our lives, as we recall your saving work and your healing power in our own lives, may we make space here for others to come and experience your goodness. May your heavenly glory be seen not just in the renewal of our lives, but in the renewal of the lives of every man, woman, and child who lives in our neighborhood. Guide us, Lord, we pray. Help us to know who we are in Christ, to know why we are here. That we may move into this new season. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.